Likuti Sichos, Chelik Tezayin, it's volume 16, the second Sicha for Parsha Shmois. In this Sicha, we'll point out some very well-established rules which the Rebbe typically highlights. Number one, that every detail in a narrative of a story that's related in the Torah has great importance. And it serves as a life lesson for us. That means it's not just a random detail, but it has a significance in the lesson that the Torah is trying to teach us. And number two, that even what may seem on the surface at first glance to be random details of one story, but really the fact that they happen in the same story and the Torah chooses to tell it to us, tells us that they have a very strong integral connection. So if we look in chapter 2, Pasuk, verse 3, where it describes what happened when Moshe was born and his mother could no longer hide him. So what did she do? She put him in a little bassinet and it says, Vatosem basuf al She put him in the suf, in basically the Sea of Reeds or the Nile. She put him, it says, on the edge of the river. So the Targum which is the primary translation, the Yunkulus, he says, what is this, the edge of the river? He says, Kefnara, which means the shore of the river. So from this it comes out that when Yocheved, the mother of Moshe, put him in with the bassinet, she didn't put him into the water, she put him near the water. She put him right at the edge of the water, but on the dry land. However, when you look in the further verses, when the daughter of Pharaoh, Batya, when she comes to the water and she finds this bassinet and later she even calls him his name, Moshe, based on this fact, where did she find him? Where did she take him from? From the actual water. In other words, as it says, for I have drawn him from the water. And that's why she called him Moshe. So what's going on over here? Was he placed in the water? Was he placed near the water? So the great Gon, the great genius, the great Talmudical genius, the Ragachover Gon, Rabbi Yosef Rosen, who was the Hasidic chief rabbi of Radin, he explains that the issue was as follows. You see, the water, the Nile, was the Avodah Zarah, was the actual uh, idol. There was the idol worship of the Egyptians. They worshipped the water because that's where they got their sustenance from, as we'll see later. Since it was their idol, since it was an avodazora, so it therefore was forbidden to put Moshe into the water to save his life. You see, one is not allowed to save his life with avodazora. It's one of the three sins that it says, Yahareg va'al yavor, that you have to allow yourself to be killed and not to transgress it. You cannot save your life with avodazora. Thus, his mother could not put him into the water, she put him at the edge of the water. However, what transpired afterwards, the verse tells us in describing how the daughter of Paro, Paro ended up there, the verse tells us bas that the daughter of Paro went down to wash, to bathe on the, on the, on the, in the river, on the river. So the sages tell us that one of the meanings is that what does it mean she went to wash herself? She went to cleanse herself. That she went to cleanse herself from the idolatry the idol worship of her father. In other words, she became a convert to the monotheistic belief in Hashem and the one God essentially becoming like a Jew. So once she went down to cleanse herself, 
says the rugged shover, of this idols. In other words, she now nullified its existence as an avodazara, as an idol, as a deity in their eyes. Therefore, now the, the, the bassinet of Moshe was able to flow into the water. Now, what is the benefit? Why was it important for him to be in the water? So we know that the reason why his mother tried to put him into the water or near the water, as we explain, is because the Istraligan, the, the sorcerers, the astrologers of Pharaoh, they were the ones who brought about, about this decree of throwing the children into the water, of getting rid of the sons. Why so? Because they said that they see into the, the future. They see that the savior of the Jews, or what they thought to be the potential savior of the Jews, he will be afflicted by water. He will be affected by water. So they figured this is the proper method. Let's get them all to be thrown into the water, and then he will die too. So the mother of Moshe felt that if she puts him into the water, and they see... They have a vision that he's in the water. Now remember, their vision is not accurate 100%. So it's a little distorted, but they'll see him in the water. Thus, they will no longer be looking for him. His life will be spared. And in fact, what happened? That it says, the Medrash tells us, that as soon as they, quote, saw that he was placed in the water, they saw the Savior of motion in the water, they didn't know if he was drowned in the water, or as we know, he was safe and sound in the water, immediately they advised Pharaoh that, the time has come to abolish this decree. So, in short, Yochebed wanted to put him into the water. He had to be in the water. She could not put him in the water. When did he end up in the water? And when did the decree become abolished? When the daughter of Pharaoh abolished and, 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 and nullified, totally did away with the idolatry factor of the water. So the Rebbe says that everything in the Torah is very precise and very exact. And then, with, therefore, these two things, these two things, number one, the nullification of the idolatry aspect of denial, and number two, the ab uh, ab abolishment, the nullification of this decree of throwing the water, of the throwing the boys into the Nile, obviously has a very strong connection. They have their connected, the two, these two things. And not just a connection, but a fundamental one, and one that has a fundamental meaning and impact on the whole concept and the whole idea of what this entire Golus Mitzrayim was, the exile of Mitzrayim, and later the redemption of Egypt. Because if we think about it, think about it for a moment. This decree of throwing the boys into the water, what was really their objective? If you remember, their whole objective was that the stargazers or the astrologers, the sorcerers, had this vision that a boy will be born who will eventually save the Jews. So what, what they were essentially trying to do was to get rid of the boys. And as, as, as Pharaoh already had instructed, kill the boys. Why then add to it what is the importance, what is the impact of the idea of throwing them into the Nile? Right, If the whole purpose, the whole objective seems to be just to get rid of the boys. Rather, the idea wasn't just to kill the boys. The idea wasn't just to do away with them. But it was more than that. There was a deeper objective here. The objective was is to throw them, to submerge them. To overwhelm them with the concept 
of the Nile, the concept of the water, which in the Egyptians' eyes, this was their deity, this was their God. The idea was to take, to take the Jewish mind, to take the Jewish male, to take the, 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 the intellectual aspect of the Jew and submerge it, subdue it to their way of thinking, to the way of the idolatrous um, uh, thinking of the, of the Egyptians. Why did they respect the water to this degree? Why did they worship the water? Because their sustenance came from the water. In Egypt, it doesn't rain. So they would rely on the Nile overflowing whenever it did, and that would irrigate all their fields, and thus they had the crops and the produce and everything that they need to survive. And therefore, they worshipped this thing. So the idea is that they wanted the Jew also to worship the nature as they worshipped the nature, and to, de- to be subservient to it. How is it possible? Think about it. How is it possible to pull a Jew down? How is it possible even to try to attempt to pull a Jew down into such a way of thinking, into such a lowly uh, view of the world? The idea answer is, when the Jew is in Eretz Yisrael, when the Jew is in the Holy Land, like the Jews were prior to their descent to Egypt, it's absolutely impossible to do it. Why? Because in the Holy Land, it's a place where you visibly see godliness. It is vivid, it is real, it is clear, it is obvious. You see godliness. True, a Jew also plants, the plants. he plows and, and sues the land and, 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 and takes care of the land, but he knows clearly, he sees clearly that he depends on the rain, he depends on Hashem, he depends on the heavens for his sustenance. And therefore, it's very clear and obvious. Even after the Jew arrives in Egypt, the first generation, they had Yaakov, they had the sons of Yaakov, they had people who clearly were an example, they saw with their own eyes, they saw the reality as it is, that Hashem is the one who provides. So they didn't yet have the ability to try to submerge the Jews into this way of thinking to, quote, throw them into the river, throw them into the Nile, subdue them and subserviate them to this way of thinking, to this approach in life that everything comes from nature and that you have to worship nature. Only after, when it says, quote, and Yosef and all his brothers died. In other words, when that generation expired, and now the Jews were more subject to the ways of Egypt, and they were living more in darkness, they didn't see godliness, that's when the Egyptians could try, could make the attempt to try to submerge the Jews into this way of thinking. Now Moshe, Moshe is the savior of the Jews. How does the Zohar refer to Moshe? He is called Raya Mehemna, the faithful shepherd. What does it mean, the faithful shepherd? The one who, the one who feeds the emunah, the faith that's in the Jews. In other words, it's true that Jews by nature, their disposition is that they are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. They are believers, the children of believers, quote-unquote. However, that belief sometimes could be dormant and, 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 not, un, and totally, totally unaffected. In other words, it doesn't have a clear effect on the person. And therefore, you need to, as it says in Tehillim, in chapter 37, it says in the Psalms, which also can be translated as you have to feed, you have to support the faith. It's not just enough to have faith. it, it, It means that you have to actually bring it out and you have to enhance it. And it cannot allow it to just remain something superficial, but to become something real, something effective in the person. 
And this actually can help us understand something very interesting. When the Torah describes in our Parsha, the first encounter where Hashem encountered Moshe when he was shepherding the sheep of his father-in-law, the Torah makes a point to stress, stresses and makes a point to tell us that Moshe was just shepherding the sheep of Yisrael, but he was shepherding the sheep of Yisrael, who is his father-in-law, who is the priest of Midian. Why add this detail? The whole point of it seems to be, at least if we look in the Medrash, that the Torah is trying to highlight the greatness of Moshe and actually to tell us his pedigree, why Hashem chose him, what criteria he met in order to be deserving and why at that moment did he suddenly become more, even more deserving to become the leader of the Jews and to be sent to save them because he was a shepherd and how caring he was to the animals. So why mention this point? Why mention this detail that it was the sheep of his father-in-law, Yisrael, who is the priest of Midian? The answer is that you see that all along, what is Moshe's objective? What is Moshe's endeavor? Is that even in the sheep of Yisrael, even at the time when Yisrael was still the, quote, the priest of Midian, he was still the idol worshiper, Moshe knew that in the sheep, like in everything else in the world, there are sparks of holiness. And he was there shepherding it, bringing out the good, bringing out from within, from deep, you know, hidden within, bringing out those sparks of Kedusha, those sparks of holiness, and bringing them to the surface and making them, making them effective. So that is what Moshe is all about. He's about reaching deep down into us and bringing out and feeding that faith. And now we'll understand the connection between two, the two things. A, the annulment, the, the, um, the, the voiding of the Nile being an idol through the daughter of Pharaoh, and at the same time, the uh, abolishment of the decree of throwing the boys into the Nile. Because when Moshe was born, the moment Moshe was born, <clears throat> now the potential was there to destroy, to do away with the Avodah the idolatrous aspect of the Nile, and, and to, to, um, to, um, to also do away with the, the idea, to begin the process of, of abolishing this idea of trying to submerge the Jew in the thinking, in the way of life, in the Avodah Zarah of the Egyptians, which was highlighted by the Nile, by them worshiping the Nile. So as the Rebbe says that everything that happened in the enslavement of Egypt, in the exodus of Egypt, is really something that happens in the process of a Jew's life on a daily basis. And that's why we have to remember the exodus of, of Egypt every single day. You see, there's like basically three steps in a person's day. In the, in the evolvement of a person from when a person gets up in the morning, a Jew gets up in the morning. First, there's godliness. He sees it very clearly. Parallel to the, to, the, to the godliness that they saw when they were in Israel, that they saw it very clearly. It was very real. Then there is already somewhat of a descent to Egypt where you see godliness, but it's still, it's already not as clear. And then there is, so to speak, the actual going out into Egypt. What is this? What are these three steps? So you have number one in the morning, the first thing a person does, a person goes and prays. A person davens. What happens when you pray? You become connected to Hashem. You see godliness. You, first you say the, the, the songs of praise, Psuket de Zimra which speaks about the greatness of Hashem. Then you say the blessings of Shema, which speaks about the greatness of the angels and everything that surrounds Hashem. 
And then you speak in, the, in Shema itself, which Shema is a, the word Shema is an acronym. Seu Marom and Echem, lift your eyes on high and see how everything is created by Hashem. Everything is Hashem. And then even the the, the highlight of this, the climax of this, is the Amida, the Shmona Esrei, where a person stands, as it says, quote, as a servant before a master, and you speak to Hashem. In first person, you say, Hashem sefosai tiftoch You please open up my lips. You make my lips. We're speaking to Hashem. You, Baruch Ata. We say you, Hashem. It's, it's, it's you and Hashem together. In other words, it's clear and obvious the connection between the person and Hashem. That's the first phase of the day. From there, where do you go? You go a step down in the, quote, vision of godliness, in the vivid and, and, and actual connection to Hashem. But yet you're still connected to Hashem. And what is that? As the Talmud tells us, after from Tefillah, from Beis Knesses, you go to Beis Hamedrash. You go to studying Torah. Now it's true that studying Torah, in Torah you study Hashem's wisdom. It's Hashem's Torah. But still at the same time, what is the most important aspect of studying Torah? In other words, what quality does one apply when studying Torah? One's intellect. In other words, it's a lot about you. And in fact, we know that a person has to take specially precautionary measures in order not to forget the quote, the giver of the Torah. Because sometimes a person can become so immersed in the thinking, in the intellect, and in the in the arguments of the of the Torah, that one can actually get carried away, and it becomes a lot about his way of thinking. Sadly, not enough about the way of Hashem's ways of thinking. So you see that, but still, it's still Hashem's wisdom. So there still is a connection. But then comes the third phase, which is going out into the world, going out into the world to one that has to earn his parnasa. And over there, you have to be involved in worldly matters. Go through the you know the hoops of nature. Go through you know the process of things, whatever profession one is engaged in, in order to earn a living. And there it becomes quite challenging. And there, there's something pulling us down to make us subdued to nature, to make us submerged in the belief that perhaps nature is what makes everything happen. And over there is where we need to really have that extra strength. We need to have the aspect of Moshe in order to keep us from drowning, keep us from submerging ourselves into that way of thinking and to always be on guard and be careful to remember that everything, everything comes from Hashem. So when a person prays, and then he goes to, to, to study Torah, which is a fantastic thing. Already then he has to be mindful. He has to be aware that there's already the descent is starting to take place. He's starting to go away from that clear and vivid connection from Hashem. And he has to be quiet. Uh, um, he has to be all the time on guard not to allow himself to slip into it. And continuously engage in the Moshe aspect that's in him to abolish this decree of being submerged to the Avodah of Egypt, which is the rules of nature and the belief that that's what makes everything happen.